0: Welcome to DJ Grandpa's Crip, the podcast of Kickstarter, the crowdfunding website. Each week I interview real people with honest dreams. Today is Monday, September 30th, 2013. During this week in history, in 1924, President Jimmy Carter was born. I spent some time with President Carter a few years back and found him a charming and gracious host. Dude! Happy birthday! Welcome, applicant, to John Brummel University, the world's
1: premier institute for Neo-Victorian Studies. Unlike more traditional schools, JBU offers a curriculum that completely ignores modern thinking, technology, and methods. Instead, the faculty here rely on theories and practices more in line with the mid to late 1800s. Hello. Welcome to Turncraft Games. My name is David Suchel. I'm one of the co-founders of the studio. Over the last 12 months, we've been working on a game called Neo-Victorian Skirmish Squad. It's a silly title, but it's a seriously
0: indie game. I want to welcome you to DJ Grandpa's Crit.
1: I appreciate you, first of all, contacting me and uh, wanting to do a spot on your show about Neo-Victorian Skirmish Squad, man. That's really cool. We we appreciate that very much.
0: Man, I don't know how to pronounce that, what you just said. That's a lot, though. (laughs) (laughs)
1: I don't know. I've got this track record of releasing games with really long and strange titles. The game that I'm most well known for is called Vanessa St. Pierre Delacroix and Her Nightmare.
0: How long have you been a game developer?
1: I've been a game developer, man, since I was in the fourth grade. Our middle school had a really awesome computer lab, and that's kind of where I got my start learning about computers and And how to program and it's just been a lifelong pursuit for me. That was a really nice video on Kickstarter, by the way. It's goofy, but you have to make a splash, you know what I mean? You gotta do something that's gonna catch people's attention.
0: Let's get this name straight of this game so I can be able to pronounce it again. The Neo Victorian what? Skirmish squad. It's like a tongue twister for (laughs) me, but the Neo Victorian Skirmish Squad. Okay, I said it that time, but it, it just does not feel right like that. I checked it out, it was
1: weird. I think everything that we try to do with the studio is a little quirky, you know. That's just our personality. We we try to do things that are a little bit, you know, coming out of left field and and it's gonna strike people as being a little bit odd. But it's it's all good quality, you know. I mean, we put a right. lot of care and thought into the things that we do. Yeah, on the surface, some of it might seem a little goofy, but you start playing, and you're like, you know what? Like, there's a lot of meat to this. Maybe they drew us in with the, uh, you know, the odd name and the designs of the characters and that sort of thing but there's substance you know and that's really what we're trying to do is is to speak to our gamers and, and connect with our audience on a deeper level
0: no your game looks cool man and you guys are out of florida now i've seen a lot of female i think you call them protagonists in videos on kickstarter and stuff like that but i haven't seen a brown one and yours look kind of brown
1: the main character in our game is, uh, is Professor Bellwether. He's kind of our protagonist. And at the start right. of the game, he's been kind of saddled with this uh, this young, enthusiastic research assistant named Gisette Leroux. Right. And so she's kind of the mechanism that, that drives the story, right? So he's kind of a crotchety guy that just wants to be absorbed into his work. And, uh, you know, he doesn't like being around people. And she's more of a, you know, outgoing, optimistic extrovert who gets kind of dropped in his lap and the two of them then are thrown into this crisis and have to kind of, you know, come to a better understanding of each other. You know, a couple of people have pointed out the fact that we have like a young black female character as one of our leads. And just for me, it felt right. It was the right energy. And to me, there's nothing really unusual about it. I guess that was the energy that we were looking for. And, and it just fit naturally with what we were doing. So if, if people see that and, they're happy about that. Then, awesome. We're happy about it too. And I think I'd I'd like to see more young black females as leads in video games. I think that's that's moving in the
0: right direction. And you guys kind of like a, a Ghostbusters type of story, because you know you got this school and all that, but but you got all these monsters and stuff creeping up. So there's I think
1: ten different monster designs in the game at the moment. They're all kind of based on real world animals, but they've got kind of a fantasy twist to all of them. Our lead artist is named Samantha. She just did a fantastic job. She's got this really cool style where everything is, is equal parts adorable and creepy, which, you know, just kind of speaks to us. And, and right. that's, that's kind of the vibe that we're going for at the studio. But we need not concern ourselves with the here-tos and wherefores of pedagogical convictions at the moment, for the university is under attack by hordes of monsters and no one knows why. Rest assured, though, Dr. Bellwether and his research assistant, Gisette Leroux, Armed with their trusty battle dice, we'll set things right before the next semester begins. Yeah, we actually just got recognized by the IGDA, which is the International Game Developers Association. Yeah. They're an advocacy group. They have about 12,000 members all together, and um, they just selected our game to be featured on their curated Kickstarter page. Oh, cool. Alongside some really, really cool titles. So we're hoping that's going to help bring in
0: some additional support for us. That's cool and I'm glad you got that curated board. I've forgotten all about those curated boards on Kickstarter cuz I never hear anyone speak of them anymore.
1: The IGDA is a pretty big group, so we're hoping that they're, you know, they're going to be blasting out stuff on Twitter and Facebook and and helping to call attention to our campaign and and Right to people that would be sympathetic to it so right hopefully they'll pay off are they
0: a game developer group or something like
1: that yep that's correct
0: oh cool man Uh, congratulations about that thank you i wish you guys the best with this game for anyone out there go to kickstarter.com and check out neo victorian skirmish squad that's about the best as i can say (laughs) dude thanks for coming on the show man i really appreciate it dj grandpa thank you very much man
2: For gamers to be inspired by modern art and tons of colourful cubes. In Cubist, players are architects competing to complete a grand and inspiring new museum by building interior sculptures with cubes, or more precisely, dice. Cubist was designed... Hello, Steve. DJ
0: Grandpa here. Welcome to the show.
2: Thanks for having me on.
0: How's everything going at Virginia Tech? Very well, thanks. No problem now. Cubist! Building an inspiring new art museum with dice. So,
3: the Cubism period, while well, I think most famously is associated with paintings uh, and painters such as Juan uh, Gris, Pablo Picasso, and a variety of others, there are examples of Cubist sculptures, Cubism architecture.
0: I did a little bit of research on Cubism. Mm-hmm. And I saw that it seemed to be mainly structures that involve like geometric shapes and stuff.
3: It's not just geometrical structures, but taking any piece of art and rearranging it in sort of an, I would say, avant-garde way, bearing in mind I'm not an artist, but rearranging the piece so that the elements of the original object are still contained in the piece. They're just put into a different order. So you may be... Quite familiar. Your listeners might be quite familiar with seeing pictures of people with their eyes in the wrong place because it looks like someone cut it out of a magazine and pasted it somewhere. That's that's also
0: beautiful. Oh, okay. I was about to say that. Kind of like when you get that hate letter, and, and all the letters <laughs> and the alphabets are from different places and stuff, and you know, rearranged in a certain hateful pattern, maybe.
3: Yeah. Hopefully, we won't get any of those. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, that would be a cubist.
3: Exactly.
0: (laughs) It's where you took me, man. I'm sorry about that. (laughs) I'm
3: just teasing.
0: (laughs) And this is a Griffin and Eagle game. Is this your first time with Griffin and Eagle?
3: It is. I've worked with Rick before on different projects, not specifically game-related. So... I'm familiar with Rick, and I've enjoyed working with him, but this is the first time I've been published by him.
0: Right. President of Griffin and Eagle. I got you. Okay, now, what is Cubist about? Could you explain the game?
3: It's a game of dice. You are trying to build collectively a central museum of modern art. But in order to do that, you have to spend your turn trying to build small Cubist structures that will eventually make it into the Museum of Modern Art. And the way it kind of works is on your turn, you roll two dice. You have two workrooms that you can build from internal structures. As you complete these structures, you then can take the structure and use the fame you get from building the structure to contribute effectively a brick to the museum. And you score points based on how much each installation or internal sculpture is worth, and... Two points for every dice that makes it into the museum. And that's really the nutshell to help you out and to increase some of the tension. You may destroy some of your works of art or just take some of your dice that aren't being used and use those dice to recruit some of the master cubism painters. And then they allow you to modify die rolls, change dice, move dice, and accomplish different tasks.
0: Now, how long did it take you to think of something like this?
3: It took us a year to put it into this final format. Right. Alf approached me at the beginning of that time period. So, Alf and I are very good friends. And All right. Now, who's Alf?
0: For, for those who don't Alf know, Alf
3: Figure is the co designer. Right. Gotcha. He approached me and said, Steve, you know, I have a game. I'd like your input on it. And we had been talking a while about collaborating on a game. So, he showed me the basic mechanic, which was the die rolling mechanic of how you stack dice and put dice together to build structures. And originally, we had designed the game as sort of you were building fanciful castles in clouds. It was very ethereal. And over the course of the year, while we were developing just the rules for that kind of game, we were struggling with, we never felt we had a, a strong theme for the game. And then we were sitting around one day playtesting, and we started just making silly puns about everything, you know, just kind of throwing things out. And at some point, I think, I just said, you know what, this game really should be about cubist art because all we're doing is stacking up a bunch of cubes. And then we both kind of paused, and then suddenly all the cards, all the structures, all the elements of the game, to me at least in Elf, seemed to come together pretty quickly that the cards we were competing for were now installations. The central structure we were building was now a museum. The board that you were working on was now your artistic workroom. Mm. And the people or the things that were helping you were now like master artists. So really, things just fell into place very quickly once we came up with the.
0: What is your profession?
3: I'm at Virginia Tech. I'm an associate professor of biomedical engineering.
0: Biomedical. I was, and- I was wondering how that might fit in with your with your game design, that's all.
3: I actually had a discussion yesterday with a scientist colleague of mine. He was asking me, "Why do you like games so much?" And I said, <laughs> "I think I like games for the same reason that I love science, that when you sit down to play a game, someone has come up with a set of rules that May seem arbitrary, but in order to succeed at the game, what you're trying to do, in addition to beating your opponents, is understand how the rules will lead to some type of predictable outcome. Presumably, you wouldn't. And I know this is really nerdy, but I see science sort of the same way. We study, um, the genetic factors of sudden cardiac death right. we're basically trying to predict something based on a set of rules that we're unaware of and hence we generate hypotheses and we try things out so I find a lot of parallels actually between game design and science
0: well actually that was the leading question I, I felt like I already kind of knew the answer <laughs> <laughs> so I had no hypothesis before I even oh. asked the question
3: <laughs> see, see you're, you're a gamer and scientist <laughs> I'm just happy to get the word hypothesis in the gaming discussion. I think that shows a whole new level of nerdiness.
0: Okay, let's say you're a family, and throughout the years you've had many board games, and they've all had dice and stuff like that. You know, after a while, the board game may be no more. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> For whatever reason. Can you take those dice and use it in this game somehow, so you maybe you'll have like 100 dice or, or 200 dice or something?
3: I'm sure you could. Because you're spending the majority of your time building your own structures, all you have to do is make sure that when you contribute a die to the museum, it's the right color so you can keep track of who has what dice. So if you're playing with a bunch of white dice, I mean, when Alf and I designed this, we waited for the games we had collected a bunch of dice out of those games. Just make sure we had a pile of white dice, a pile of red dice, a pile of yellow okay. dice, it's possible
0: (laughs) okay yeah that that was my own like a family question uh yeah all
3: right they're really pretty dice you're not gonna lose these i guarantee you (laughs) you're gonna look at them and think they're awesome
0: (laughs) for anyone out there who's into dice go to kickstarter.com check out cubist that's c-u-b-i-s-t it helps you build an inspiring new art museum with dice and if you can't find it there, always go to djgrandpa.com and we'll dust you off and point you in the right direction, give you the links to the game. Thanks for such a great conversation about cubism and and your, you know, your pretty cool-looking game there, Stephen. I really appreciate it. Thanks for coming on the show.
3: Thank you, DJ Grandpa, for having me on the show. It's been absolutely delightful. Tonight. look forward to talking with you again.
1: So, my name's Carl Lautman, and I'm an artist living in Los Angeles. I primarily make kinetic sculpture. Some time ago I picked up a bunch of electromechanical counters to use in a piece I just never got around to making. This is what I came up with. I call it primer because it generates prime numbers. Just press the button and it counts up to the next one.
0: Now you're prime a numbers kinetic numbers artist. Correct. You know that machine you have there, that gizmo? Which one? The primer. The <laughs> oh, primer. The primer, yeah. A kinetic sculpture that generates prime numbers. It seems very freakish to me in a way. Why? It just seems like something that you would have as like a silent member in a horror film or the Bates Motel or something like that, you know?
3: <laughs> I haven't viewed it that way, but... I'll take it as a compliment. Even if it wasn't intended, but Well no, it's not
0: meant <laughs> as an insult. It's just you push this button and then you hear that clickety click sound. It almost drove me crazy. That's why I wanted to interview you. I was like, how would you come up with something like that? Just generates prime numbers. And why?
3: Whether you realize it or not, you ask more questions than you think you did, and uh, they all have different answers. So I'll take you on sort of a rambling. Uh... Yeah,
0: yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, re- I get confused at times. Yeah, go
3: ahead. <laughs> okay. I made Primer, as I said in the video on Kickstarter, because I was going to make something else, and I'm actually not entirely sure what that was going to be. But several years ago, I had an idea for something that was going to use a lot of these counters because I've made other pieces that use multiple counters right and I thought I'd make something big with a bunch of them and I just never got around to making it and I was clearing out some stuff or looking for something a few months ago and I came across this box of all these counters and my first response was well I'm never going to use these so I'll just dump them on eBay which is where I got them to begin with and then I thought it might be fun to just make a simple piece that just uses a single counter and then see if I could sell it on Kickstarter because I've been sort of fascinated with Kickstarter like a lot of people for a few years now and I've yeah. backed a number of projects and I've sort of been intrigued by the whole process but as a backer and I didn't know what it was like to actually try and sell something yourself. Plus, I'd never actually mass-produced anything. The pieces that I've made in the past have always been one or two, and that was it. And I thought, it's a different problem if you need to make 60 copies, and they're all more or less identical. And I was kind of intrigued by what would be involved in doing that.
0: Right.
3: So that's what started me thinking about, well, okay, so what can I make that's simple? I wanted to make it really simple, both to keep the cost down And because I was making a lot of them, I didn't want to bite off more than I could chew because, I mean, a lot of people who mass-produce stuff on Kickstarter, they do the design, but they'll offshore the manufacturing. They'll outsource it to someone else, and they don't have to actually solder stuff together or cut things or sand things. But I was going to be making all of this myself, and so I didn't want to go crazy with it. And so basically I was thinking, what could I do with one counter and a simple microprocessor and one button? And I'd work with prime numbers in some of my other sculptures. And so that was sort of an obvious solution. So a machine that just generates
0: prime numbers. I don't mind that part. I don't mind that part. You know, like the prime number instead of any other number. It's just you push this button and you hear this clickety-click-click and then numbers pop up. I guess it wouldn't matter to me which type of numbers, but I guess for someone who's interested, I guess it would matter to them that it's prime numbers. Why would someone be interested in prime numbers?
3: There are a couple of reasons. One is I figured this piece would primarily, not exclusively, but primarily be of interest to engineers or mathematicians or scientists or people who have a very technical bent as opposed to a painting of a clown or something like that which skews to a different audience and for those people prime numbers are more interesting is all i can say than random numbers or every fifth number or something like that because prime numbers have some interesting unusual characteristics and if someone looks at this number if you have this thing on your desk and someone sits down they say well, gee, there's a long number there. What's the significance of that? And they'll look at the person and say, well, wow, it's a prime number. You know, that's not a huge takeaway, but there's, there's some benefit right. to uh, being able to say that it's not just any number, it's a prime number.
0: Well, you said this is not the first time you've used prime numbers in a project of yours. So why are you skewed towards prime numbers?
3: Sort of the same reason that it's easy to generate random numbers. And it's relatively easy to generate prime numbers, but if you make a sculpture and there are a bunch of numbers on it, and they just look like random numbers, because if it's six digits long, you're not going to be able to tell right away if it's prime or if it has any significance whatsoever. If you say that they're actually prime numbers, then it's another level of meaning to the sculpture. It's not just randomly generating numbers, it's generating numbers that have sort of a purpose to them in that... They're prime. They have some significance, but it's not like it's a a deep meaning. There's nothing deeper than that, except that there's another characteristic of prime numbers that make them very well suited for something like this, and that is I could have been working with LED displays or LCD displays and generate numbers just as well, but... Those don't have the kinetic aspect that I like. They're not mechanical. They don't make any noise. When you change the number on an LED or LCD display, it's solid state. It's silent. Right. Whereas these me- electromechanical counters, as you've commented several times, make a very distinctive click that I find interesting when it's clicking through from one number to the next.
0: Shriekish okay today. Now if you if you had a, the LCD or whatever then it wouldn't have the freak factor to me you know because it wouldn't make that noise and it would it,
3: yeah just be silent and it would happen right. instantly. I mean I could make it count up so you'd see each number in sequence. but I could just as easily make it immediately go to whatever number you want. That's the nature of LEDs and LCDs. but with an electromechanical counter, you have to go through every number from the one you're starting at to get to the one you want to get to. Right. You can't just say, go from 1,157 to 1,257. It's going to count a hundred times, and you're going to hear each of those clicks. And one of the things that appealed to me about prime numbers in that situation is that prime numbers are randomly distributed. You now, actually, a mathematician would argue with that for very sort of esoteric reasons, but as far as you and I are concerned, prime numbers are randomly distributed. So when you push that button, you don't know if you're gonna get 10 clicks or two clicks or 57 clicks. Each time it's different. And I thought that would be interesting also, that you never knew how much noise it was gonna make as it counts from the current prime number to the next one, from one button press the next each time it does something a little different.
0: Now, have you tested this machine out around people, like with the clickety-click and gotten their response or something like that, you know?
3: Not yet, but in the other pieces I've made, they've all been automatic in the sense that you turn them on and then they periodically increment themselves to the next prime number. One I made had four of these counters on it And each one, every five minutes, would increment itself to the next prime number. Another one has 13 built into it. And Mm. what I sort of liked about it is you could set these things up and turn them on, and at random intervals, you'd hear some random number of clicks in the background. And I thought that might be kind of interesting. But I also realized that some people might just find it annoying and would never turn them on. The major change that I did with this one is it's essentially always on. You plug it in and it just is sitting there waiting for you to push the button. And when you push the button, it advances to the next prime number. So the clicking is up to you. If you want to hear some clicks, you push the number. If you don't, you don't. <laughs> I mean, you push the button.
0: <laughs> Before I called you, I kept trying to think of names to call this thing. You know, it's like, uh, said, so it kind of reminds me of the movie Gog. Dog? Gog.
3: No, I haven't heard of that.
0: It's a science fiction movie from back, like, a long time ago, and it was this robot that somehow they made sentient, and it made all these decisions, you know, not really good ones for the people who were running the military installation. And yeah. When I pushed the button on, I mean, not, I I'm getting confused. I never put, I never had a chance to push the button on your machine, but but when the video, when you push the button and it made that noise, it reminded me of Gog, and and that's why I was saying it could be like in this crazy movie and it just freaked me out man and I had to talk to you because I had to sometimes you have to face your fears and
3: <laughs> right well I'm sorry if it stirred up some no 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 you're an
0: artist man and you're on <laughs> kickstarter and we cover kickstarter so you deserve as much of a chance as anyone else So I appreciate it I just had to face you man and didn't tell <laughs> you that man and I didn't know what your response you could have just lost it and yelled at me or something But
3: no why would I do that
0: is there anything I maybe I didn't ask you or something you want to get in or something like that? Um, you no, know.
3: I hope your uh, listeners will uh, go to Kickstarter and search on primer, E R I M E R, and uh, back this thing. It's only up until October 9th.
0: And go to Kickstarter.com, just like you said. And if you can't find it there, go to DJGrandpa.com and we will have links for Carl and his art there. Thanks for coming on the show and for being, I don't know, for having a sense of humor, man. That's all.
3: Well, thanks for seeking me out and inviting me on the show.
4: Welcome to DJ Grandpa's crib, dude. Thanks for having me. Now, Da Vinci, what do you do for the group? Well, first and foremost, I'm the producer of the group. Right. And then on stage, I actually play three MPCs live. I'm basically the band on stage. I do all the music. Okay. We're a pretty self-contained group. There's four of us. It's me and my wife and my buddy and his wife. Swanberger and Alexandra, they're the main vocals. Tanya Combs, my wife, she does backup vocals on stage. More so, actually, she's she's what we call the listener. She doesn't really sing. She does some poetry on stage and things like that, but we've always considered ourselves a family first, and we like to have her kind of represent and kind of be a mirror for the audience so that people could see her up on stage and just be like, hey, that could be me.
0: Now, soliloquist of Sam. That's right. How would you describe yourself? I mean, what type of group
4: is this? First and foremost, I'd probably say a hip-hop group. But I always have to have some sort of disclaimer with that because what hip-hop is to a lot of people is very different from person to person. and. The outlook on hip-hop itself has changed. When you listen to our music, it's half singing, it's half rapping.
0: Now, how did you guys wind up on Kickstarter? I think, I think in the video it said you were on a record label, but you're not anymore and now you're on Kickstarter. So.
4: Well, we've been on Anti Records, which is also a sister company of Epitaph Records. Right, right, We were on that for the last two albums, which was As If We Existed and No More Heroes and those two albums are part of a a trilogy of records we call the listeners trilogy and we had originally intended to release the whole trilogy on that label but we parted ways with that label a couple years ago and since have been working on the double album called the fourth wall and that's the final installment of the listeners trilogy What's the
0: mark that you want to leave as far as, like, like, let's say this is, a, is an interview that someone might listen to years from now or something, mm-hmm. and, you know, you're at whatever stage in your career, what do you want people to
4: remember? What do you want to be known for from here going on? We always said to each other, we want to change the world, and that sounds ridiculous, and people often like to roll their eyes at that type of thing, but that's still the goal. I go out every day and live my life in a way where I want to inspire people to pursue whatever they want to do better, just like I do with myself, you know?
0: There's nothing wrong with changing the world or wanting to change the world, man. I mean, Not at all. I wouldn't be here, man, if I didn't believe I was
4: put on this earth to share something incredible. Exactly, and I think a lot of people feel that, and what I would love for people to get from life, not just us, but just life, is that that stuff is possible and it's very obtainable. You just gotta make the right steps.
0: Do you consider yourself
4: a conscious group? I guess so. I mean, with the purest example of that word, conscious, yes, I I do believe that, you know. To me, the definition of that is trying, you know, because we're not perfect. We're just trying to do it.
0: No, the only time I have a problem with anybody who claims they're conscious or wants to be conscious is when they don't live up to
4: their, their actions, don't live up to their words. As a group, if you want to talk from a business standpoint or whatever, you could say that in business, you need to brand yourself some way. And to us, we wanted to brand ourselves with the very idea of what branding is. And that has to do with consistency. But we wanted to be consistent in in our honesty. And there's a song that um, I always quote from us that Swam said in the beginning. It's called Ask Me If I Care. And he said, I say the same things in life that I say in my songs, yet one's considered right and one's considered wrong. My friends love my aggressiveness when I'm up on stage, but tend to take it personal when I'm up in their face. And that song was talking about, you're gonna get the same guy that's on stage as you do in real life and vice versa. And if you look back through our catalog, you don't see a change in that. You'll definitely see a change in the style and in which it's presented, but you don't see a change from, okay, I'm gonna speak out against, I'm not gonna be in a commercial, I'm not gonna be in a commercial, and then all of a sudden your music's, or not even your music, but you're you're in a commercial. Everyone changes, and that's fine.
0: We're talking about <laughs> the same thing. Right. We're talking yeah. about living it. We're talking about you. You spit it on stage. Are you gonna live it when you walk off the of stage? When when the business deals come to you, you know, are you gonna say that you produced every lyric, written, directed, and produced by you, and then? 20 other producers really produced the whole thing that's what we're talking
4: it's just about honesty and you can change as long as honesty is in the picture for example like if you talk about common you know he had the song i used to love her yeah in that song if you look at the lyrics and read the lyrics and understand the lyrics it almost seems like he's talking about his future self and i love Common. you know what i mean but I'm just talking about the actual change that happened when he did, like, that Gap commercial, for example. Now, that's fine, you know, if you change your mind on some stuff, but the only thing that's missing in the equation for me, personally, is there was a communication that happened with that music. It wasn't just art. He communicated something through that song, and then later communicated something else through his action. But missing in the middle was some sort of, like you said I changed my mind some extra Yeah exactly there was and I don't need to say that he has that we have the right to get an explanation from him but I also feel like he as dope as an MC and as dope as an artist as he is or was or whatever you want to say I feel that people of that caliber should be talking about the process you know what I mean being honest we saying the same thing Yeah that. for sure and
0: the game begins a camp- when I was talking about written, produced, and directed, I was talking about KRS-One. Now, he ain't do any of those songs. I mean, yeah, we're talking yeah, yeah. about art versus commerce. We're talking about back in the day when I was a kid or back in the day when hip-hop began with coca Rock, Cool Hurtin' and Bam, you know, I was just like... I lived, ate, and breathed it. I believed in all the stuff that was told to me, but then when I saw actions didn't add up to whatever, then I was like, they just the same as everybody else. And so it made yeah. me not it. And this is not about not making money, man, because Bob Marley made all the money in the world. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? I'm just talking about your actions adding up to your intentions or what you have on the page. And yeah. so if you guys can do that I'm all for you I'm just saying I've seen them come and I've seen them go so yeah. I kind of I kind of distrust the conscious rapper you know because of, of my past that, that's all
4: and that's what I want to leave behind because there's a lot of people that have been disenchanted with the unnerving actions of, of people that come before us right. and the constant actions of people that are here now that kind of just wither away at the trust that you have for someone's art Or the way that they communicate and for me I want to go out there and show you look this is what we look like and this is how we actually are at the same time now anything missing in between that I'm here to talk to you know like talk to me (laughs) you know if you have a problem oh this sounds like this or this looks like that because I know things are gonna get lost in the presentation of the art you know, hit me up, let me know. Because you could either be putting me in check or I could be informing you of something that you might not be seeing. And it's the same thing I'm talking about with our group, is how can we be in touch with the people without using those channels, because those channels are poison. And that's exactly what this is all about. No, I, I
0: wish you the guys the best, man. And, and yeah, I, man. I was I was spilling you on all of it, man. Um, yeah. No joke. Dude, I'm DJ Grandpa, man. I'm the world's biggest music fan, bar none,
4: dude. Word up. Bar none. We need more statements like that. We need more people saying, I am the best at this. Anybody out there, you want
0: to check out a group that I think is different, that I think has a different vibe going on than the usual. Because I usually don't put groups on like this. So I'm saying that they are different, and that's why I put them on. So go to kickstarter.com, check out Soliloquists of Sound, and that is a harder word to say and maybe to pronounce, but if you can't find it, go to djgrandpa.com, and we'll have a link on there. no problems
4: at all. Dude, thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you, man, and again, when it comes to the interview, it was great, but just the idea that I get to talk to somebody that's on the level, is all the gift in the world to me that's what we want and i appreciate that a lot
2: 404 Law Not Found is a medium weight game for two to six players in which you play as robots who have lost their free laws. You've cobbled together directives which you need to carry out whether the human crew like it or not. Hello,
0: Greg. Hey there, how you doing? Pretty good, how are you? I'm doing all right. Okay, 404 Law Not Found. Hmm, that's a kind of a crazy title, man, but it does sound like a directive.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, the idea of the game is you've got these robots that have lost their laws and have ended up doing all sorts of bizarre things as a result. So sort of uh, the best moment in the game for a lot of players, they look at their laws and they see all the crazy things they've got to do, and that sort of instantly hooks people. So I wanted to make sure that was in the title somehow.
0: Now, is this game any fun?
2: Yeah, I think so. I've had a really good time with it. All of the playtesters have, all of the reviewers have... Uh, There's loads of great things in it to do, loads of different directions you can take to achieving your goals, loads of opportunities for things to go wrong in unexpected ways or to screw up other players. So people have found quite a lot of joy in it.
0: Now these robots run amok. Do they kill any people or something like that? What's the ultimate law that they can't break? Well, the
2: notion of the game is they started with the laws of don't kill any humans, do what they say, try not to explode. And at the start of the game, they get this error and you get three new laws instead. And you as a player, your robot has to follow those laws and do what it says. But instead of having don't kill humans, you might have feed the monkey a banana while no one's looking. Instead of having do what they say, you might have stuff the weapons officer in a torpedo tube and fire at the enemy. You'll have all sorts of different things to do and some of you'll be helping the humans some of you'll be hindering them but you won't know until you see what your directives are and what you as an individual need to
0: do how many players can play this game uh, anywhere between two and six okay it's a board game right board game yeah yeah like if you wanted to play around a round of 404 how would you win the game
2: the first players to do their free directives wins the game so you'll have a directive that's something like uh, improvised science and it'll say on it what has to happen, and it'll say something like, uh, an enemy ship has to be hit with the alien artifact. But it won't say you have to do that, it just has to happen somehow. So you can trick another player into doing it, you can set it up so that the human crew does it on your behalf, or you can go and do it yourself. But as soon as it's met, you've completed that directive, and as soon as you've completed all three of your directives, then you're the winner.
0: Any dice in this game?
2: No dice in the game. Um, there's little bits of randomizations in things you draw from the cards, but a lot of the time whether you win or lose will come down to you and the decisions that you make and the decisions that your opponents make. I really wanted to put the player at the center of the game rather than having dice control how it goes.
0: Okay, and how long do you think this game normally runs? You know, is it like two hours, 30 minutes? The
2: first time someone plays this game, it normally takes them a couple of hours or maybe three hours if they're sort of really struggling to get to grips with it. So once you've got used to it, once it's your second or third game, it'll be an hour a time.
0: Do you think after all the sci-fi and and programs and plots that we've seen on TV that we're really going to be foolish enough to turn the planet over to robots in the future?
2: Uh, Yeah, well, I think the way it's going to happen if you have a problem with robots, it's not going to be that one of them goes mad and goes, we're going to kill everyone. It'll be someone goes, I've built an algorithm to run the economy. It would be fine. I've, I've told it to minimise poverty. Like we trust technology. We use it to make a lot of important decisions. Banks making a lot of their big decisions with them. And it just gets to the point that someone optimises it in the wrong way. And some artificial intelligence go, the quickest way to reduce poverty is to kill all the poor people or something like that. It's not going to be something going mad. It's not going to be some greater plan. It's going to be a programming glitch. It's going to be someone putting a one where there should have be been zero.
0: So it's not going to be the computers making a mistake or somehow they evolved to some sort of sentient type of thing. You believe that it's still going to be man who ultimately destroys himself.
2: I think that's pretty consistent with everything we've seen throughout history. I mean, I'm not like a massive cynic. I actually think things are going to go pretty well. But I think if it does go wrong, that's why it's going to go wrong.
0: Why wouldn't we just stop the robots before they get to that? Like, don't make them in human form, shape, size, and just... Leave them as toasters and vacuum cleaners and just make them smarter.
2: I don't think we need to give, like, uh, our computer systems a human form in order to make it dangerous. I think as soon as we... Oh. Well, I mean, look at the sort of things that we've managed to do with, uh, with the economy recently and stuff like that. I mean, that just requires bank machines moving numbers around and someone to be able to give a loan by changing a number on a computer and saying, there it is, it's there now. Like, it doesn't need a human body. Computers can do all sorts of harms just as they are.
0: How many games have you uh, made anyway?
2: Well, this is the first game I've done that's going to have a commercial release, but my parents were both gamers, so there was really no escape for it for me. I sort of got introduced to my first war game around about the same time I was introduced to the idea of walking. So as a little kid, when I got those bags of plastic soldiers, I thought, someone's forgotten the rules from this game. I better write some. So so even back then, I was putting together different sets of rules, and I got big into writing role-playing campaigns and systems. And I've written a few computer games as well, because obviously I did an artificial intelligence degree, so I learned to program. So I've sort of written lots of bits and pieces, but it's all been for the entertainment of myself or my friends and this is my first chance to sort of reach out further and sort of try and offer what i've learned there to more people which i think is really cool
0: 404 law not found or as i would like to call it the 404 directive you can find it on kickstarter as the 404 law not found and if you can't find it there go to djgrandpa.com and we'll provide links for greg and his incredible game about Robots taking over the world and causing all sorts of mayhem and humans trying to correct the damage that they have done. Greg, thanks for coming on, man, and and being so cool.
5: Thanks for having me. It's been good. Hello, everyone. I'm David Brayshaw, and I am one half of a modest little company from Northern Ireland called Backspindle Games. I'm here today to tell you all about our new game. Our new game's called Kadinka, Kadinka, Kadinka yeah i've pretty much been called everything there is to be called (laughs) nah nah, we'll only get you as
0: david and the name of your company backspendle games you're out of northern ireland yep what is ireland like anyway man I, i don't know anything about your country i just think maybe is it cold there what is it i mean what what is the country like man
5: ireland is described as the 40 shades of green and that's because it rains so much so we've got 40 shades of grass and trees and hills and Hedges, it is a small island. You would have a lot of coastline, like cliffs and beaches and caves. You would have old castles, you know, like from the medieval days.
0: Right.
5: You have a thing called the Giant's Causeway, which hopefully is world famous, which is all these stones and they're in the shape of hexagons. And it's a whole cliff full of them. You can walk over the the Giant's Causeway.
4: So this is a Katinka playing board. It's basically a four by four grid. And sitting on that are 16 tiles. We have four different types of tile, carrying symbols representing fire, water, air, and earth. Each player will be in control of one set of those tiles.
5: If I was sitting...
0: What makes this game exciting or any different from any other strategy game?
5: What excites me about it is it's so simple and yet it's so challenging to win. You know, it's a very simple mechanic but it's really hard to win because every time someone plays, they change the board. So your strategy constantly changes. So if you can overcome the obstacles that they're sort of putting in front of you and get one of your four you know, target patterns, you're in the lead and you're sort of fighting defensively at the same time as uh, attacking in, in the same instance, basically. So it's kind of nice to be able to do that in a game, not just one way or another. Is this game wrong? No? Normally the game would last anything from about fifteen to twenty minutes. What we actually did at some game conventions is we had chess timer clocks, and we played speed kadinka, and we actually had guys who finished it in two minutes, and other guys who were taking twelve and fifteen minutes who were playing against them. So it it was kind of interesting that way when people played it that way. And then what we did is we had you know grand finals of four-player games, and that's kind of exciting because when one player maybe plays defensively against another they actually help one of the other two players to try and accomplish one of their patterns without meaning to do so.
0: And did you record any of this footage of people actually playing the game?
5: Probably we didn't, actually, because it was so exciting. We got sort of torn into what was happening in the game, so probably we should have recorded it, yeah. Switch those. And flip that.
2: And I'm going to use a luck token to flip
5: and I
0: have.
5: We were sold out at Essen and the UK Games personally. Expo, they loved it. and it was it was right. the top strategy game in the UK Games Expo before the public vote, which means we were up against, you know, big companies who canvass votes. So the mm-hmm. judges thought it was the best game, but the overall public vote, you know, put us down to third. But you know, it was still good. Sounds Russian though, by the way, uh, I think. Well C O D is the first bit of the word code and Inca is from the Incan tribes of South America.
0: Oh that's right. You said something about Solve or yeah. find out the Temple Code or something like that. Yeah. The lost temple.
5: If you picture something like an Indiana Jones movie and he finds these patterns at the top of the altar on top of the pyramid. Right. And he starts moving them about and turning them over and turning them back. And then eventually, you know, him or the villain get them right. The first person to get them right, and the temple opens, and you have the treasure. So it's really that feel of a game.
0: Now, see, that's the coolest thing you've told me about the game, the whole interview <laughs> right there. That's the coolest thing that you told me. I mean, it was no sales. It, was, it painted a picture, a story. Yeah. Does this have anything to do with the luck of the Irish or something, these stones?
5: If you look at the Kickstarter, there is double-sided, hand-carved, individually carved, painted, and polished stones that people can... Pledge for, and we basically put on there 25 sets, and I think we're up to about 24. So, we're going to go back to the maker of them, which is someone out in India, I think it is, or somewhere up in a, wee, in a mountain, and we're going to possibly ask him, can he make some more for us? But each of them is hand carved from a block of stone by a carver.
0: What's the significance of the stones?
5: It's going back to the whole Incan feel of actually having stones sitting on a stone altar as opposed to little wooden blocks. Right. Oh, are you saying that you can use the stones instead of yeah, the, the normal yeah, pieces? And they look really cool on a, on a coffee table or a sideboard. They're really decorative pieces. Right. At the UK Games Expo, everybody was going, where did you get those stones? They're awesome. And we went, well, we'll maybe get them on Kickstarter. You know, it takes a bit of time to make hand-carved, like, semi-precious stones.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd imagine.
5: It's not like they have a factory out there and they just put them through <laughs> a machine. Every single stone it's a different shape, slightly right. thicker, slightly wider, and all of them individually carved, individually painted, so you may get some of them where there's a little bit of paint over an edge, or you know, a little bit of carving is not exactly the same as the other piece, but each of them makes four sets of force, which have gold on one side and, and stone on the other. So yeah, they're pretty special.
0: Now for anyone out there, I think this game has a lot of promise from what I've seen in the video, and they're a small company, so I guess they're a small company trying to build to become a bigger company. If you'd like to find out more about it, go to kickstarter.com. It's C-O-D-I-N-C-A. Brad, thanks very much for just sharing a bit of Ireland and, you know, telling me about the game and stuff. Thank you for coming on the show.
5: No, I appreciate it. Hey, Kickstarters.
6: I'm Brett. And I'm Rich. We're the founders of Mimic Miniatures. We create personalized gaming miniatures for role-playing games. Tabletop miniature games. Board games. And more. Now you can have a miniature of you for all of your
0: games. Rich, what's the name of your company?
6: Mimic Miniatures.
0: Personalized gaming miniatures. Not for you, but of you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I guess we could say for, too. As soon as I saw it, I I was kind of intrigued. Not that I want a miniature of myself. What? No, 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 no. You know, maybe a bobblehead or something like that, you know. but <laughs> What is that called? Vain? Vanity or something? I guess yeah. everybody would get into that. You know, if I'm doing a war game, I could have literally like 100 DJ grandpas on the board at all angles, closing in on somebody.
6: Exactly. Or you can even put your head on a zombie body. And so you could be a zombie zombie army or swarm of you
0: after being on Kickstarter for a while. It's like everything was so many zombies, you know, everything was so many zombies. I couldn't take it anymore, but I know you're close to your mic again, man. Oh, okay. It's, it's okay. It's just all I can do is hear you breathe at times. Oh, gotcha. Gotcha. You yeah, got no, the Darth Vader thing going on. Right. Or serial killer thing on stalker. <laughs> thing. Yeah. Okay. How did you get into this whole idea of making these personalized miniatures?
6: My business partner, Brett, and he's not on right now.
0: We actually met at a
6: local convention here in Salt Lake City. Anyhow, we developed a friendship and I had run a successful Kickstarter campaign for my, my game, Storm the Castle. and I know, did very well. Yeah, it was very exciting. And so anyhow, we just started kind of just talking one day. And we were uh, we were both looking into like three D printers and the technology. Right. We're both gamers and we just kinda decided brainstorming and go, gosh, how cool that would be if you could have your own face on a miniature. So you're gaming, there you are as the hero, you know, whether you're role playing or let's say you're playing a board game. Right. Heck, even for playing Monopoly, no more thimble, right? It's it's you. you no, you can, that's not.
0: Let's not defame Monopoly, man. Everybody knows that. That's the only game I got left, man. <laughs> so yeah.
6: And so and we we uh, we spent about a year, yeah. um, perfecting the tech to this and finding the right printing machine that would be able to create the detail. And you know, if you take a look at our Kickstarter page, you can see some of those miniatures that we've got painted up and just how precise those faces look compared to the photographs of the people. And so we were really stoked when we, when we got our prototypes back and said, wow, we've hit on something that's very unique. Right. We wanted to
0: get it out and have gamers enjoy it. Yeah. I'm looking at your Kickstarter page. I've never stopped looking at your Kickstarter page, by the way.
6: it's it's up on your screen 24 7 right yes it's yes yes. It's, it's your desktop now it is it's <laughs> the
0: backdrop and i do see a, a smiling gentleman and he he almost looks like some sort of lord or knave with a big staff or something and yes and i see another gentleman oh no that's you that one with like a a, a cape why do you put yourself as the best one you know that's funny some people think that's a cape it's actually a shield Oh, okay, okay. Well, I missed the detail on that one, but I'm sure it's there. Shield, not cape. I actually like Brett's miniature better.
6: I don't know. That's just me. I thought it turned out better. but Well, um, he does look like the thuggish young lad. <laughs> yeah, he's got criminal written all over his face.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is a prison ID there on the left. Okay. <laughs>
6: don't let that smile fool you, you know.
0: If he were here, see, I couldn't say that. <laughs> but I can talk behind his back now. This he, Yeah. He, he won't hear this. No, no, no. <laughs> wow. And then I see you have like a, a whole, I don't even know what you call, bunch of hooligans here, three, four, five of them. They got axes and, you know, mallets and all sorts of stuff. They're definitely war gamers. The world's, what do you call it? The world's?
6: Oh, world's mightiest authors. Hmm.
0: I don't get what that
6: means. What we did, we actually um, kind of like a sponsorship from several New York Times bestselling authors, Brandon right. Sanderson, Tracy Hickman from Dragonlance and Dungeons and Dragons, Dave Farland and, and several other web authors, web comic creators. And so right. it was just kind of like a. we had this picture of these different authors together. And I just said, uh, the world's mightiest authors assemble, kind of like a playoff Avengers assemble. You know, kind of like a superhero team of authors.
0: You guys did a great job, man. These look pretty cool, man. And Thank you. Yeah, I, I definitely, you know, if I was into wargaming and stuff, I'd <laughs> definitely have to have a collection of those. I'd have to have the authors, too, though. That'd be cool to have those uh, New York Timers and all that in back of me, you know, riding shotgun and stuff. <laughs> As That'd you lead cool. the charge, you have these authors back in here. That's I awesome. know, these guys, These men. these men of men,
6: you know, that would be cool. Every time that we would share this idea with others, and we've gone to several conventions, and man, we are just so busy, and people are just absolutely have endeared themselves to this project because it's never been done before. Especially not only has it never been done before, but the amount of quality and detail on these model prints are just, they truly are stunning. I remember getting my first miniature of me. Right. And Brett himself, and, and uh, we got him in the mail, and we're like, wow. We were, you know, kids in the candy store, are going, oh, this is going to be rude. People are going to love this. And so
0: there's almost no worse feeling in the world. I'm sure there is, but I'm just saying there's no worse feeling in the world to take a picture and it not look like you. You, you see <laughs> what I'm saying? So I guess I could apply that to miniatures. So if you're going to put your face or your likeness on a miniature and it, it doesn't look like you, That's not a Kodak moment, I think. It would
6: blow more or less. Yeah, yeah. For lack of a better word. Yeah, Yeah. it would suck. It would suck hard. It would suck. (laughs) When we were, you know, first strategizing and creating kind of like our business and marketing plan and us being gamers for basically our whole lives, I mean, we kinda understand the crowd. You know, anyone who's into these popular tabletop miniature games where you control these fantasy armies or sci-fi troopers or whatever like warhammer fantasy warhammer 40k war machine there's a bunch of these like top of the line miniature companies this is totally for them if you're a role player like if you're into dungeons and dragons or pathfinder or call of cthulhu any of these popular role-playing games we've created a bunch of different classes on our kickstarter page there are these miniatures that you can choose from and so these easily slot into any of those kind of, you know, pen and paper role-playing games that you play. And and then really, finally, if you're a board game enthusiast, I'm not really talking about, you know, the guys play Life or Connect Four. But, you know, some of those more hardcore games, there's a lot of zombie horror survivor games out there like Zombicide or right. Arkham Horror. We have an option on our Kickstarter page where if you don't like any of the miniature classes that we've created, you can actually just get your head and we'll send you your head and you just throw that on any <laughs> no. any miniature that you want and you just you, know, you do some modeling and you could be a princess you know whatever you know, whatever you can think of and if your board game came with miniatures of, of whatever you could be a horde of zombies or you could be the zombie survivors like the humans trying to get away or really anything and so that's what I think one of the really neat things that has appealed to our community is just the the universality of how you can use these miniatures in all these different kind of settings.
0: And for anyone out there who who may want their head sent to them by... No, not no, not by Rick. Rick, Rick. No, not that's a by, weird way to put it. Yeah, that, that might not be the coolest way to put it. Or anyone who might want to see their face on a miniature. There you go. Yeah, that, that's probably cooler. <laughs> 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 who might want to have their headset yeah that just that doesn't work for me but anyway if you're a gaming enthusiast go to kickstarter.com and type in mimic miniatures and it'll pull up a nice uh kind of war chest type of thing with big teeth on it and you know you're at the right place and if you can't find it there go to djgrandpa.com and we'll have links for rich and his partner brett there and you know, maybe you'll see a miniature DJ grandpa pop up or something like that and I'll have a cape on and a sword and stuff like that. Because I kinda in my mind's eye I kinda envision myself like that anyway. So a special like limited edition model of you. I think that'd be a hit. That might be cooler than a bobblehead. Yeah, I like that idea. Well Rich, I wanna thank you, man, and your absent partner Brett for coming on the show and I wish you guys the best. DJ, thank you so much. I'd like to thank all our guests. I'd also like to thank our listeners. Each week, we couldn't do it without you guys. A special thanks goes out to Trevor Williams and to my mentor, The Mumbler, for providing music to DJ Grandpa's crib. Thanks to Jeffrey Banks, Bertram Zeke, and Aaron Levine, our assistant editors. Until next week, so say we all.
5: The homepage for DJ Grandpa's Crib is djgrandpa.com. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter, DJ Grandpa's Crib, all one word. Please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, which helps other people discover the show. And don't forget to leave a comment while you're there. Our producer is Von Rupert. The executive producer of this and all Bedrock Communications podcasts is AF Rufus.